0: Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled, exciting, and possibly contagious episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey,
1: this is Ben. Hopefully, uh, we're not contagious to each other. I, I
0: I haven't seen the newest results, but I'm pretty sure electronic devices over 900 miles don't spread any viral infections, so we should be good.
1: Well, look at you busting out the uh, official, like, mileage distance between us. Uh, (laughs) But you're right. We're probably not contagious to each other, but apparently you're a little uh, just not feeling too well, huh?
0: So if anybody hears it, and it just came on just a couple hours ago, so who knows? I am a minor hypochondriac that's a byproduct of nursing school. All of a sudden, I started realizing all the shit that can go wrong with the human body, so... I'm hoping it's just my brain and the fact that we are just getting ass slammed with COVID at the moment. And I'm just assuming the worst, but only time will tell at this point or a COVID test. If I uh, still feel like this tomorrow.
1: True. And you know, you're talking about the way you changed your nursing school. Let me just say that it was a hard week. The, the uh, week that you thought you (laughs) had uterine fibroids.
0: (laughs) Yes, that was a, uh, Long and difficult explanation by Dr. Uh, ben to explain to young novice nurse Tom that uh, that wasn't going to be happening. So,
1: Like, you can't have uterine fibroid. You don't even have uterine. Stop it.
0: <laughs> I'm like, just because I'm not pregnant, Ben? What's that supposed to mean, sexist?
1: Oh, uh, well, buddy, I hope that you get to feeling better, and hopefully it's not COVID-19, and if it is, uh, you'll be on the road to recovery soon, I'm
0: sure. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was nice knowing you.
1: Well, I I just want your cool shit. That's all, you know.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, whatever you can pry out of my son's hands, go ahead for it. So I'll work on that. Ah, Thank you.
1: You're going to be fine. Shut up. Anyway, well, here, you know, it's been busy. We've seen a huge spike in cases, almost like what everyone in the medical field has been predicting. That, uh, you know, we were going to see a huge second spike in about October, November. And here we are, November. And yeah
0: it's amazing that when science is listened to or not listened to in this case, what they can predict, I don't know how it is where you're at, but with our population density here, it, it, uh, it set off pretty quick around here, much, much, much faster than the uh, first wave. So again, they predicted that, but to actually see it and be in the middle of it is like, Oh, Oh, so this is what it's like being in the middle of a tornado. Oh, it's it's unpleasant.
1: Well, and speaking of science, you know, I I put this on my personal Facebook, but uh, I want to say it again. You know, we we, uh, watched the SpaceX Dragon launch again a couple of days ago, and and like I told Tom, I'm never going to not be amazed watching that and seeing what science has been able to accomplish. It's just amazing.
0: Yeah. Again, weather you can appreciate the minute detail that science can provide, like at the viral level to watch human beings leave the surface of the earth safely, get up into outer space and live. There is just, well, like you said, it's, it's mesmerizing, like just watching it and knowing some of the stuff that went into it is mind blowing for me. And I barely know anything about it. So to just, watch it happen or you know my favorite movie is probably apollo 13 and o- again I, obviously it's a movie and I, and I understand that but it's based on something that happened like yeah no three reason. men literally had to go around the moon just to try and get home like <laughs> think about that they had to go around the moon <laughs> to come home and so that's why mission galactica is not over my friend we have got to make this happen so if somebody knows somebody let's let's get
1: the moon to get home and i bitch when i have to drive up and down walmart parking (laughs) lot because I can't find a damn parking spot yes
0: because i want to park 15 (laughs) feet closer to the door (laughs) exactly damn it oh you know i i don't and i'm sure there are women out there that understand but it's my wife is not one of them so that constant she's like why do you care i'm like it's a win (laughs) <laughs> it's the wind you gotta you gotta park cl- as close as possible to the door it's a W damn it yeah
1: exactly. so anyway well I guess let's do our social media stuff and we'll go from there man okay so you can find us not on the International Space Station yet Yet. <laughs> uh, but elsewhere you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube i at Just Some Podcast our website's www.justsomepodcast.com Emails, admin at justsomepodcast.com. Don't forget to check out our merchandise store as well. Hey, dude, speaking of the merchandise store, I seen a, a big order come through like last week. Someone in New York ordered like eight of our COVID beards. So shout out to you if you're listening. Thank you. We appreciate the hell out of that. and we'll get We those, certainly uh, do. We'll get those proceeds turned over to first responders first. Um, but yeah, check out our merchandise store, shop. Tom? If... They wanted to help us out. What else
0: could they do? Well, they could go to our webpage. Blah, 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 blah. Exactly.
1: Words are hard. That's on there (laughs) too.
0: Yes. Or they could go to our webpage. They could scroll down to just about the bottom of the page. They'll see an Amazon affiliate link. Click on that first before you do any shopping, looking around, or putting anything in your cart. After that, do whatever you feel like. It helps out the show. We really appreciate it. And you guys use it a lot. So thank you very much. There you go.
1: So let's jump into our story that you may have missed. And Tom, what are your thoughts on drugs?
0: (laughs) Hmm. That is a very open-ended question, my friend. Yeah, definitely. Um, what drugs? Like the kind we're slinging or the kind you catch a charge for slinging? Uh, Both.
1: Uh, So the headline (laughs) of the article that we're going to talk about tonight, psychedelic drug triggers growth of new brain cells in mice. So research in mice have found that dimethyl... DMT. DMT is one of the active ingredients of the psychedelic tea, ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. Man, look at you.
0: Yeah, I listen to Joe Rogan's show, buddy. Trust me, I've heard all these words.
1: (laughs) So they can... (laughs) Researchers have found that DMT can spark the creation of new nerve cells and improve spatial learning and performance in memory tasks in mice. This was a study conducted at the well, It's in Spanish, so we're gonna roll with this Instituto de Investigaciones Biomedicas and the Network Center for the Biomedical Research in Neurodegenerative Diseases, both in M- Madrid. They led a study that found that the beta carbolines in that T stimulate neurogenesis in mice cell cultures. And they have discovered that the DMT also stimulates neurogenesis in mice. They did this by injecting mice with the DMT and like in one art, in one uh, experiment they talked about they injected mice daily for 21 days either in a, alone or in combination with an agent that blocks the sigma 1 receptors. Uh, they tested the animals abilities on spatial learning and memory tasks. Uh, the animals that received the DMT alone performed better than those on the team injected with the DMT plus the receptor blocker. And this finding suggests that the brain is putting the newly created brain cells to use in the hippocampus for learning.
0: Well, one I don't know what to think about that because I I clearly don't know a lot about mouse brains and psychedelic drugs. So, right. Hooray. What I will say is listening to people that have used some of those drugs (laughs) they talk about it's like a religious experience and maybe that's that growth maybe they are finding new connections and their brain is responding to it I mean I don't know what else what other example because I don't have a background with DMT or anything like that what I would say is and this is just a personal belief obviously. You know, I want to hear what you have to think about it, but I think the time has come for us in science and maybe possibly working with the DEA to say, hey, we need to kind of maybe reschedule some of these scheduled drugs and what we do with them. For example, I don't believe THC is the cure all to everything. (laughs) you know, people that are like, oh, I took THC and I don't have cancer. I'm like, I don't think it's that simple, you know, but certainly there are a multitude of applications that we either aren't looking at, or we are hamstringing ourselves on because of arcane rules from, you know, the thirties and forties. So, look at the examples of ketamine and PCP and psychedelics with treating PTSD and veterans and all the extremely positive results they're having. But the researchers have to jump through 30 hoops to take one step forwards. The application of THC, and we know this for a fact, it helps, you know, cancer patients with, you know, nausea and appetite and and, and all the great things that it does. for people that use it, even recreationally, you know, they talk about less anxiety, less depression and realistically, what have we gained out of it?
1: An overcrowded prison system.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. We have a very overcrowded prison system. Thanks to weed. Thanks. That makes no sense. But what I would say, I I don't know that I'm with the Portugal slash Oregon version of let's just decriminalize everything. I, I don't know that I think people should be able to buy heroin at a, you know, a circle K. Like, I, I don't think that we're at that level, but certainly people at university hospitals doing research studies should have easier access. I really think that marijuana should be completely legal in every sense. And I, I think it's time, both as the medical profession and people doing research in these fields, it's time to step forward and say, hey, there are some applications. There may not be. And that's the other thing we need to realize that, you know, they might go forward with these studies and go, you know what? It was a great idea, but guess what? Ketamine not helping. You know, all the research so far says it is, but what if it's not? Okay. Well, then we know that. And then we just use it as an anesthetic. There you go. We, we go back to square one, but we don't know that. We're, we're having to scour the rainforest for some kind of venomous frog now to try and develop drugs. Like, why are we cutting out things that we have access to that could be helping people? Because mental health is a huge issue in this country. Absolutely. And we are finding time after time after time that sometimes combinations of both cognitive behavioral therapy and use of these medications is producing really good results. So I... I, again, I'm not saying we need to make cocaine legal. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know that that specifically is something that I think every person in America needs access to. That's a personal opinion. But I certainly think we need to open our eyes to how we address drugs and research and drugs that we know have very minor impact, such as THC. Like, I, I think it's just time for us to move forward.
1: I would agree with you, and the researchers did make notation here that obviously much more research is needed, whether DMT could increase neurogenesis in humans, or whether it could even reverse or slow the progression of neurodegenerative diseases. And then, of course, the article does make reference very similar to what Tom was talking about. For now, in common with other classic psychedelics, such as LSD, DMT is a Schedule One drug. This classification means that their uh, regulators consider to have no accepted medical use and very high potential for abuse, uh, which is where THC currently sits as well. So, yeah, I agree. There's Even if it's in, in controlled studies, I think there definitely needs to be some more information ascertained because that's the only way we're going to know. If you leave it at this level of to say, oh, well, it's never going to do any good without testing it safely and in controlled environments how are we going to truly know that
0: yeah and again not to beat a dead horse completely but speaking of the joe rogan show he had a researcher who was talking about ancient religions and at some of their sites that they found some of these psychedelic drugs and that's where they were coming to these whole they were clearly having religious experiences they were using them in their religious ceremonies so i don't know that again, that every drug needs to be legal or that every drug has a good application. I don't know. I would say that at this point, 2020, um, it's pretty fucking clear that THC should not be a schedule one. Like, let's just face some damn facts. All right. <laughs> if you're putting gummies and heroin in the same category, you have got a really skewed perception of how <laughs> things work. It's just true. And it's not something I ever, ever have dealt with until I started having patients be like, "Well, I don't want to be on a bunch of pain meds. Why can't I just, you know, smoke a joint? Yep, yep, and have way less side effects and have way better outcomes." And I was like, "I don't know. I don't have an answer anymore." So that's my take on it, and I, I hope that we do the research and. That we make something come of it. I also find it really funny that DMT is schedule one. And again, I don't know anything about it other than what I've heard about it. Right. But I do know it's a naturally occurring chemical we already have in our brain. So how are they making a schedule? <laughs> like, that'd be like, blood's a schedule one. What? How do you? Wait a second. You well, know, to that, it is a prescription, I guess, but
1: testosterone to schedule three. Yeah. So, and that's naturally occurring in our body too. So, I mean.
0: Yes. And I understand there is a potential for abuse, but it just comes back to, my God, I'm not anti-regulation. I'm just anti-dumb regulation, I guess. And it's just, I think it's a time that we can have this conversation, especially in the research setting and say, look, we're showing things are changing. And there's new ways to look at it, and I just think it's time we do it.
1: I agree, and that's a hell of a segue, Tom. Speaking of change, if I had that cute little like thing back in like like the sitcom, you know, where they like have like a, a flashback, you know, and they play like the yeah, I was gonna
0: say like the little yeah.
1: So if I had that music, I would play it now. But Tom, I want you to think back to uh, a few days before December eighth, twenty eighteen. Do you know what you were doing?
0: Uh, nope. <laughs> I don't remember off the top of my head.
1: Well. Let me refresh your memory. We were recording an episode, episode fourteen of this show that was released on December eighth, twenty eighteen, about medical billing and RVUs.
0: Ah, yeah. yeah. So the
1: reason that I referenced that and the the changes are basically that episode fourteen, it's going in the trash. I mean, we'll still have it, you can still listen to it. I mean, but the information is no longer gonna be valid because they are overhauling E and M coding starting January 1 2021 and so we thought we need to get this information out because it's important
0: well it's important and especially to our listeners in America everybody else if you want to listen go ahead but I don't know how much you know importance the our listeners in Brazil are going to find in the EM coding
1: well they might find some I don't know
0: you know, I, I don't know, but Bjorn's going to be like, fuck this. He's like, I'm going go to take some more pictures of penguins. I don't got time Bjorn's for this still shit. You want
1: to because Bjorn loves us. <laughs> but much like episode 14, we are going to get into, a little bit into the weeds, but I think in what I have researched about this, I think this is going to make a whole lot more sense than the way that we have been doing things for the last however many godly and unknown years.
0: More than I know. So
1: AMA is the one who sets things like the E&M coding visits and the office visit go- guidelines. And so from their website, they talk about why to make changes. And it's basically to guard against fraud or abuse law infractions. You know, the False Claims Act and other federal and state fraud and abuse laws remain in effect. And although the new E&M coding guidelines allow greater flexibility... Practices should continue to document appropriately and guard against inadvertent overbilling. If your practice does not bill appropriately under the new E&M documentation guidelines but still receives an overpayment demand, the AMA has the resources to help you navigate the audit and appeal process. Documentation for the E&M office visits will now be centered on around how the provider thinks and takes care of the patient and not on mandatory standards that encourage copy and pasting and clicking boxes. This eliminates quote-unquote note bloat within the patient record.
0: Well, and I think that's a good change to make. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of the times I hear about changes that are being made, and I think they're arbitrary. Like somebody is like, I'm bored, let's make up a new rule, and (laughs) I can't quite figure out, or I can kind of understand how it came about, but the application seems skewed. This is one of those times I'm like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. One of the things though, that caught my mind. Cause I read that same information was when it's talking about fraudulent billing, my coders are pretty on point about like, no, this isn't a, a two one four. This is a right. two and three. So I guess this is a type of thing that maybe affects smaller practices that maybe don't have a bunch of coders or, I mean, it's just one of those things I think those of us that work in the larger health systems, I've never worried about fraudulent, like because I will look at something be like, well, I think this is a two one four, and they'll be like, nope, it's a two one three, and I've never argued it. I've just been like, okay, well, you know, based on my medical decision making, I thought this was you know an appropriate code, but all right, I guess it isn't. So I I find I would like to know more about where all this fraudulent billing is because I feel like I'm undercoding more than I'm overcoding,
1: and they will tell you that undercoding is just. For your practice, is just as bad as overcoating. Obviously, overcoating is going to raise more concerns for fraud at national levels, but undercoating is is just as bad, I would say.
0: I would say it's as bad. We had one of those, what is the word I'm thinking of, consultants that came in and they talked to us. And um, since then, I've been like, hey, you know, I was undercoating a lot. So he actually said, you may get somebody going boy, you sure are coding a lot more two on fours. And I'm going to be like, yeah, because now my head isn't completely in my ass and I can see what I should be charging for. But I'm afraid of also the flip side repercussion of someone going, well, you went from 35% two on fours to 65% two on fours. Well, yeah, that's what I'm seeing, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I got it right. And I, I find it's one of those things that with these newer guidelines, I think it'll be better, but I still think that it still has that, you know, ice skating judge type of feel to it. Like somebody else can go, I don't think this is what it was and kind of back it off. Does that make sense? Like, that's one of my fears is when I see somebody go, we're trying to stop fraud. Well, I'm not trying to perpetrate fraud. I'm trying to.
1: No, but I think fraud does happen. I mean, I, I, and I think. Your case, oh yeah, I'm sure. You know, where it's not. Intentional, But I mean, I think obviously there's going to be a major issues and this would be where I would say that providers really need to, you know, I want a first name basis with, with my coder who builds out my charts. I, we email back at least daily about different things. I would assume this, you know, like you said, it, as far as the overbilling, underbilling thing, you're probably going to see that more in like your private practices or your smaller practices, like you said. But if you're in a larger practice, hopefully, and if they're not doing this, this, is maybe something you want to try to push to implement is routine chart audits. And that doesn't mean like you, you know, don't just have yourself audit that chart, but bring in a third party and have them just pull 10 random charts and have them audit the chart for billing appropriateness.
0: Well, I mean, and they
1: one do that- us about every, sorry, they do that for us about every six months and then meet with us to tell us kind of where we're, at as far as whether that would be considered a overcharge, undercharge or, or what?
0: So we have had that happen. I can't say with what regularity it's happened because I will give some credit to my health system that sometimes they do stuff like that. And if there's not a problem, they don't email you and say, Hey, you're good. <laughs> like, it's just like we audited it. You're fine. You're like, Oh God. Okay. I didn't even realize that was, you know, happening. So maybe no news is good news in this case. But at the same time, it's one of those I I kind of want to understand what they're seeing because I've never been a coder, you know, and I understand that they, under, they know the rules inside and out way better than I do. So sometimes it would be nice. But again, when it's like, okay, you need this many points in your HPI, you need this many points on your examination, this is, you know, what your level of medical decision making was. And in my head, I'm like, okay, I met A, I met B, I met C, so I, it's a two on four. I'll still every once, in a while, I'll get that thing back. Like, no, I'm like, well, what? You know, so I I'm doing the best I can. I think the ma- the majority of us, by far, are doing the best that we can. Right. But and I and again, after reading these guidelines, which we're about to go into, I think this will help the majority of us.
1: I agree uh, wholeheartedly. Because when they initially come down and met with us, and they were like, "These changes are coming," I'm like, "Oh God!" Like, what's it going to be now? You know. And yeah. then it's like they go through it. I'm like, "Oh, you know, this is actually beneficial." Yes. So, like, kind of Tom alluded to, you know, you and your segways tonight, man. You were just on point. <laughs> so, one of the big things in prior to 2021 E is the history and the exam. Like Tom said, where you have to click certain, you have to hit certain boxes. You know, so whether it's onset and it's duration and it's alleviating factors or aggravating factors, that's all in your history. And you hit those little boxes to to qualify. And then your exam, you have to hit a certain number of systems in order to qualify for a two and three versus or two and four versus a two and three. Twenty twenty one. Eliminating those history and exam are removed as key components. That's not to say that you shouldn't do one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, you know what's about to happen. (laughs) Exams are going to have two points.
1: (laughs) These components need to be included, and the provider should do a medically appropriate history and examination. The guidelines are basically saying, you know, the note needs to tell your story so that if any provider was to read your note, they would know what was going on with the patient's care. But as far as having to hit certain guidelines in your history, certain guidelines in your exam in 2021, no longer a a billing guideline.
0: Well, and again, I understand, and I think any person that has read a chart, like for the purpose of using it to treat a patient, understand how important the HPI and exam are. Yeah. I also think though, that there are times like the note bloat that we talked about where I'm asking questions that are thorough, but it's like, was this really necessary? To, to, to like, I'm doing it because I know I'm supposed to, but is it really beneficial to the care of the patient? And there are times where I find myself going, I don't even know why I'm covering this, but I know I'm supposed to, so I have.
1: Well, or like, you know, we've talked about before with template, pulling in templates automatically and what nothing frustrates me more than, and it's because a good coder sat down with me one time, like when, in the very beginning and said, okay, did you really address this? And I'm like, well, no. And well, why is it charted? Mm-hmm. You know what? And that just like burned in my memory. And so nothing frustrates me more than to get a note from someone else and say it's like an acute otitis media or it's a strep pharyngitis and they chart like
0: radial pulses or like,
1: re- rectal exam, anal link present. And I'm like, huh? Like I <laughs> yeah. know you did do that.
0: That is awfully
1: thorough. <laughs> but you have charted that you did.
0: I mean, you, you could have just pulled, you know, cranial nerve grossly intact. But I mean, I guess if you want to go all the way with. I know you're here
1: for your ears. rectal sir, tone. Yeah. Going <laughs> to get a finger in your butt. Yeah.
0: Well, and you know, I, I think I don't want, this is the only flip side, especially with newer providers, which I still am a newer provider, but other newer providers, I don't want them to lose the skill of observation. As well. Right. That is one of the things. And and honestly, I've been in court. You know, I've been in front of a jury. I have never charted anything because I know what that feeling is. Like when you have to explain (laughs) everything you've done, you certainly don't want to start charting rectal tone on Otitis Media. Like it's gonna end badly for everybody involved, primarily you though. However, When you're watching your patient and you're dealing with them, there are things that we should be watching for. And I think you pick them up over time that I don't want people to lose that power of observation because you came in for ear pain and they paid no attention to anything other than your ear. Right. So, you know, you need to be checking for lift notes. You need to be checking in the mouth, in the nose. We need to be doing that stuff. I don't want people to stop being thorough. Because they don't have to be thorough, I right. guess. W- I guess that's my fear. Is on the flip side, as good as I think it's going to give us, I I don't want that to go away.
1: And you know that goes back to I think you got to have your routine exam or whatever that you do. Yeah, you know, ninety eight percent of patients, whether no matter what they're there for, I am going to listen to lungs. I am going to listen to heart. Just it's yep. muscle memory almost at this point, but you would be surprised what you can pick up with a, with a good auscultation of the lungs or an auscultation of the heart that you know even if they're there for an ear I still listen to that because you know is it moving down into the lungs you know, is there a murmur that we hadn't known of I mean there's all kinds of little things that that are picked up on that so yeah I mean I think you definitely got to do your normal exam that you do your normal head to toe or whatever that you do for every patient and make sure that you're reflecting that in your document
0: you know and it's funny you said that so this is A funny side note is I also, every patient, I don't care if you're there for foot pain. I'm listening to your heart and lungs. And I think it was not just thoroughness because, you know, heart and lungs are fairly important. I remember that day in school, Mm -hmm. but also because I remember hearing when I first started, there was a couple of patient complaints for another provider. Obviously, I hadn't even seen them that they didn't feel like they should have to pay a bill because nobody really touched them. They're like, well, nobody really did anything. So basically it was like, yeah, better at least listen to heart and lungs. And it became part of my standard. I'm listening to every person looking at your skin, um, checking your heart and lungs. You know, I'm, I'm going to do certain things I do every time. Right. And like you said, all of a sudden you start listening to them. You're like, Hey, uh, when did you get a wheeze on the right side only? Like what, what, you know, like, what do we need to talk about here? So I, I think there are really good things are going to come about this. I just don't want there to be bad habits developed from it.
1: I think that's a valid point, sir. Thank you. So we talked about what's eliminated the history of the exam, as far as coding purposes gone. So I know you're sitting there wondering, you're listening to your radio and you're like, well, how the hell do we code? Well, don't worry, baby birds. We're going to feed (laughs) you. I don't know why. It just was funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's going to be two ways that you can build in 2021 moving forward time and medical decision making. Now, time has been one that we have been able to use in the past if it was for counseling or coordination of care. And so, you had to put a note saying total visit time was 30 minutes greater than 50%, was counseling coordination of care, or whatever the ca- your, however much your visit was. They have altered this a little bit, so they have redefined time from face-to-face time to total time spent on the date of the encounter. So this can include preparing to see the patient, so if you're reviewing labs, tests, ER records, things of that nature, um, obtaining and reviewing separately obtained histories. So again, if you're pulling, you know, if they were admitted to the hospital, you're reviewing those H&P there. Uh, Performing your medically appropriate examination and evaluation, counseling and education to the patient, the family, the caregiver, documenting information in your EHR, independently interpreting results not separately reported and communicating those results, and then care coordination that's not separately reported. So basically, it's going from just that face-to-face time to kind of an all-encompassing time for that quote-unquote visit. So if you have somebody who is having chest pains or or something in there in your clinic or your urgent care and you get the EKG and then you call the ER and you call the ambulance and, and you're coordinating all of this stuff and all that is going to count into the total time as long as it's on that same data service.
0: And again, I think this is yet again something they got right. Because especially when you're dealing with a patient and you know that there's a little more to the story. And you have to dig into this before it was, well, you only spent 15 minutes with the patient, even though you spent 20 minutes elsewhere, looking up outside charts or coordinating care. And suddenly it was like, well, you only did 15 minutes. No, they're finally giving us an accurate, or I feel a more accurate representation of what we're doing when we're caring for our patient. Like a lot more goes into it than just that physical interaction. And I I think this is a good reflection of that.
1: So just to kind of give a brief idea, and we could probably throw something up on our website for this. Like a 99213, if you're just counting time frame, is going to be 20 to 29 minutes. And then a 214 is going to be 30 to 39. And then a 215 is 40 to 54. Now, if your new patients are a little bit different, they're in like 15-minute increments instead of 10-minute increments. But again, that's total visit time, not just with you sitting in front of the patient, but everything that's all-encompassing into your care of that patient if you are billing by time. And if you are billing by time, then you need to to put a note in your chart saying total visit time was 35 minutes. And that qualifies you as a 214.
0: I think that this is a much better system of helping us get more accurate coding than what we had before.
1: The other thing that I like about time is they've also added prolonged services. So let's say for your 215, it was 40 to 54 minutes. Okay, well, let's, for whatever reason, say there's a bunch of other shit going on. Maybe you're having to call multiple hospitals to try to find a place for them because nobody's taking patients right now because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So you go beyond that 54 minutes. They have now added codes so that you can charge for prolonged services. And you're going to chart these in every 15 minutes. And so it's listed separately and in addition to your 215. They don't have this code defined yet. So right now it's just listed as 99XXX while they're working on that. But that's going to be something I think that's going to be very helpful. So if you go into like 85 minutes of dealing with this, you know you would bill a 99215 once and then you would bill this code three times. So basically you bill out every 15-minute increments beyond that max time for the 215.
0: I will say this is one of the few areas that I would be weary of fraudulence coming in, right? (laughs) This is one of the few places I'm like, Hey, did it really, I know it took you an hour and a half to get them out, but did it really take you an hour and a half to get them out? This is one of those areas. If you're a provider that is routinely doing the, well, we're going to just call it the triple X right now, the nine, nine, triple X. I'm hoping your documentation is squared away so that you can support Each one of those charges, like this, is one of those areas. I'm like, hey, there's gray. This is a lot of gray. And if you're going to charge, I'm glad they gave us the option. Again, right. I think it's I think it's fantastic. But you better have a reason. <laughs> it took you know this much time. And again, yeah, like sure. you said, there's plenty of stuff to document. Hospitals were full because of COVID. You know, wh- whatever it may be in 2021 when we're using this stuff. But again, and we've harped on it, and I think it's for a good reason accuracy and thoroughness of your charting needs to be the reflection of the visit.
1: Well, it's and, and very similar to a patient I had a few weeks ago where I had an elderly female that was having some psychosis issues. And so I was trying to get her admitted to a, a geriatric psychiatric unit. Well, initially I was trying to get her into a nursing home for her safety and for the safety of, of the family. Well, because of COVID, nursing homes are not taking new patients from home unless they've been quarantined for 14 days, which was if obviously they're having acute psychosis is a problem. Yeah. So then it became, well, let's try to do Jerry psych. Well, okay. We were you know, able to make phone calls and exchange information back and forth. Finally was able to get the patient admitted quote unquote there, but then they wanted a COVID test prior to admission. So then you had to call and coordinate a COVID test. So, I mean, it, truly that I, w- I, mean, I probably did spend more than 60 minutes taking care of that patient but my documentation also reflected that which again it's not every patient by any means like if, if you have any ketotitis media and you're charging that you've been that you were you know coordinating care for an hour and a half
0: yeah good luck, good luck doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah good luck some coder is going to eat your lunch because <laughs> they're like nah or at least hopefully they are and again man me and the coder because i'm sure i have one that's like assigned to my area but we have like an entire department of coders so sometimes i get a note from person a sometimes i get a note from person b etc and apparently i got a new person the other day well i don't think she likes me much anymore <laughs> so but i think she would definitely sit me down on this one and said so no titus media for 95 minutes that's not gonna fly you know <laughs> like i don't care what's don't going on yeah <laughs> yeah it's like, yeah, it's just it's just not going to happen. So God bless you, coders. Uh, if anyone's out there listening that does coding, I totally respect what you do. And you know what? If you see a provider doing stuff, sometimes we don't know. I mean, I know some of the I've heard older providers that are like, well, why would they? Hey, I don't know this as well as you do. So if we're not doing something, let us know. And I got a feeling there's going to be some hiccups, you know, with any new you know, remember when ICD-10 came out. Like, there's going to be hiccups as this rolls out. So True. help us out, coders.
1: And that's one thing I like is that we do, I mean, we have a large coding group that, uh, I think there's like seven or eight of them, I assume. I don't I don't know how many for sure there are, but they assign, like, this coder handles these two providers. So you always have the same coder. And I think they kind of, it's very similar to, like, if you had your own receptionist. I mean, they kind of get used to your the way you chart, the way you do things, and I think they can go through it a lot faster. Oh, yeah, this looks appropriate. This looks appropriate and go from there. Anyway, so the time is the one way. The other way is medical decision-making. This has been revised slightly as well. One of the quotes from the AMA says, the final diagnosis for a condition does not in itself determine the complexity or risk as extensive evaluation may be required to reach the conclusion that the signs or symptoms do not represent a highly morbid condition. Multiple problems of a lower severity may in the aggregate create higher risk due to the interaction. So the way that they revised the definitions for medical decision making was number of diagnosis or management options that has changed to number and complexity of problems addressed at the encounter, which I think is a good change. Next one is amount and or complexity of the data to be reviewed. That is pretty much the same, amount and or complexity of data to be reviewed and analyzed and then the last is risk of complications and or morbidity or mortality that changed to risk of complications and or morbidity or morality of patient management. So those have basically stayed the same. The only thing that mainly changed there is not just the number of diagnosis, but the complexity of the problems addressed at the encounter. So if they're in for an media, but because you're pulling in all of their chronic health issues and you check, oh, they have anxiety and fibromyalgia, but none of those were addressed, you just address the ear, well, then that's going to lower your medical decision-making because you're not addressing those at that encounter.
0: So I also think that this is good because let's say it's a person that comes in with chest pain, and even though you may not initially think, oh, this is something of high risk, you still have to do all the work to make sure it's not high risk. And I think this is a way of rewarding us for that work. Instead of saying, okay, well, you're going to do this whole workup, But it's still going to be a 213 because it turned out not to be cardiovascular event. So I, I think from the way I'm reading it, they're like, hey, if you put in the work, you're going to get the you're going to get the code.
1: And the way that they kind of explain the number and complexity of problems addressed at the encounter is it includes consideration of further testing or treatment that may not be elected by virtue of risk benefit analysis or by the patient's choice. The other thing I found interesting was notation in the patient's medical record that another professional is managing the problem without additional assessment or care coordination documented does not qualify as being addressed. So, like, if you put in there, you know, patient's diabetic, endocrinology manages, and that's all you list.
0: Then, yeah, it's no longer. Well, again, that's fair, though. I mean. No, I agree. Yeah, I'm not doing the endocrinologist's job, so.
1: So basically comorbidities, underlying diseases are not considered in selecting a level in EM EM services unless they are addressed and their presence increases the amount and or complexity of the data to be reviewed. So if you come in with a bronchitis and you have, again, anxiety that's managed through mental health, but I check that box because you have anxiety, doesn't get to count in my billing. But if you are asthmatic and I see you for pneumonia, that is a comorbidity condition that could potentially risk complications and so that could be added into the problems addressed
0: well and on the flip side so you're seeing someone for asthma they've been having more asthma attacks but they're also having anxiety okay so you can't you just don't put down they're seeing a mental health professional you're like hey i address the anxiety is that exacerbating their asthma now we can use it again so it's not like they're really taking anything away they're just saying you can't say anxiety And then address it by saying somebody else sees them for it. Like, as long as you are proving that you took that into the totality of the circumstance, we're still going to get credit from the way I'm looking at it.
1: Yeah, I would agree. So as far as like medical decision making, like a 99212 is just basically going to be straightforward decision making. It's a minimal problem. Uh, One limited or or minor issue, a minimal risk for morbidity from additional uh, diagnostic testing or treatment. A load uh, medical decision making is going to be a two on three, two or, or more self limited or minor problems, one stable chronic illness or one uncomplicated illness or injury. Moder is going to be your two on fours, one or more chronic illness with exacerbation, progression, or side effects of treatment, two or more stable chronic illnesses, one undiagnosed new problem with uncertain prognosis, that'd be like where your chest pain would come into considerations, one acute illness with, sy- with systemic symptoms. Or one acute complicated injury is going to be moderate, so it's going to be like your 214s. Well,
0: then there's always the 215, the old high medical decision-making. I'll be honest, this isn't a code I've used a lot. I mean, I, I have, and I've never had anybody kick it out and say, nope. But I've noticed that is also been something that's become extremely complicated that wasn't supposed to be (laughs) like, uh, you got an elderly patient with a rash and then you actually start examining it. You're like, holy cow, this is not just try and sit alone and send them home. Like it's, it's become something huge, but I, I'll be honest, other than a little bit of the change on the medical decision-making and how we apply it, I mean, I think we all are going to still stay in those lanes. 213 is our normal, 214 for some things, and 215 is the, oh, crap, (laughs) like that shouldn't have (laughs) happened code. I think anybody that's worrying about this based on the information I'm looking at, don't. You're going to feel comfortable with this. As a matter of fact, they're trying to, it seems like, honestly, make it easier for us, not harder.
1: I would agree with that. I do think that it, they're trying to make it easier. And I did ask the coder who come down and visited with us. I said, so if we're doing routine follow-up visits, because like, I'll see my patients every three to six to 12 months, depending on what i seeing them for. So say they're hypertensive, they're hyperlipidemia, they're diabetic. We address all three of those at that visit. Everything seems to be stable. We've ordered lab work. That all looks good. That's going to be 214 all day. And so I said, well, I mm-hmm. suspect I'm going to start two, more two 214s because of the medical decision-making component to it. And she agreed. She said, yeah, I think we're going to see more 214s. So, I mean, I I think you're still going to have, like you said, the biggest amount is going to be your 213s, but I still think you're going to, I think we're going to start seeing a much larger amount of 214s as well.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, because like right off the bat, the very first thing that stood out to me was two or more stable chronic illnesses. If you have any sort of patients, two chronic illnesses that are stable is all day long almost i mean that's just over and over and over that's a that's a regular thing and like like you said we could go back to the standard so they have diabetes well you better be checking lipids and you know everything that goes along with it so right there are two stable chronic conditions so i i don't think that they're trying to hurt us i think they're just trying to make the medical decision-making and how we go about in the coding process easier for us. And again, I think in the end it's going to produce more like you're going to see at least on the primary care side, way more two and fours than we probably notate now.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, which I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing by no, by any standard, but as long as that's what you're addressing, you know, if they come in for something acute, And you're, you know, you're trying to throw all that other stuff into it for no reason other than just to try to bump your scores up. I mean, that's kind of, I think it's going to come back and bite you in the ass.
0: I would say this is one of those times where I think the new system is going to help out because if they come in for our regular diabetes and lipidemia check and they're like, oh, by the way, I've been having this other thing. Well, right there. Is one more chronic illness, or I shouldn't say chronic. Sorry, one undiagnosed new problem with uncertain prognosis. I mean, you can st- really start saying, "Hey, you know, I addressed the two things that they came for." Then, by the way, they said, "I've been having these other issues."
1: So, one of the other changes, Tom, that they're making not only with the E and M coding, but is also RVU changes, which you know I like think we've <laughs> talked about several times. I think we even hit it with John when he was on the show, also. And I don't remember off the top of my head, so forgive me if I speak incorrectly, but I mean, I'm not sure if they change per area or if, if they are, are pretty similar, but for the area that I'm in, like currently a 99213 is 0.97 RVUs. In 2021, the proposed WRVU rate is going to go up to a 1.3. 214 is a 1.5 RVU. That's going to go up to a 1.92. And a 215 is going to, is a 2.11 goes up to a 2.8. So you're looking at increases in the 30% range as far as for your RVUs. They also change a little bit for your new patients, but not as drastically. Those go up about, we'll say on average about 10%. You're going to get some higher RVU rates potentially as well, which if you're on RVUs, that's never a bad thing.
0: Yeah. I'm just looking at similar information. So if you have any questions, this is definitely one of those times it would be important to get a hold of your coding department. But, again, all of the changes seem to be in our favor. I, yeah,
1: I don't see that it's bad. Uh, let's, put it, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, none of this looks
0: bad. So you want to pay me more for doing the same work I'm doing? Thank you. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, even back in 2018, I'm pulling up the Medicare national fee schedule. The uh, a two and three was a .97 then also. So I think those codes have been that for quite a while so maybe they're just trying to get us back in line to where we need to be.
0: Hopefully if they're trying to help out primary care, this is one of those areas where this is really going to be beneficial. I agree.
1: So, like Tom said, if you have any questions, of course, get hold of your uh, billing department or your coders or whoever that you whoever handles your billing and if you're by yourself then do some damn research.
0: Um, <laughs> you heard. wanted to be by yourself, right? Well, now you get it.
1: I'm sure that, yeah, anyway, I, I would,
0: I kid, I kid.
1: But no, I think, you know, these changes are on the horizon, 1-1-2021, so make sure that you are uh, changing your coding appropriately to continue to remain in compliance because we don't want to hear the news story about how you're being arrested for fraud, because just some podcast didn't tell you to change the way that you code on your E and M coding.
0: <laughs> um, it won't work. So, I mean, you could try it, but it's not going to help.
1: Oh, uh, if you like this episode, hopefully you did because we were trying to give some good information and be a little funny sometimes. Um,
0: occasionally.
1: Yeah, you know, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at JustSomePodcast websites, www.JustSomePodcast.com. Our email admin at JustSomePodcast.com. You know, we didn't do an episode last week. It was NP week.
0: I, w- I was actually going to say something about that.
1: Well, the floor
0: is yours, good sir. Okay, well, remember you said that because you may end up deleting this. So <laughs> The
1: editing um, control is mine, good sir.
0: So obviously we're both nurse practitioners and it was nurse practitioner week. So certainly it wasn't as if we didn't want to do a show or we couldn't have done a show. Um, I want to say it was mostly grace on Ben's part because to be completely fair to everyone, I feel like I need to be fair to our audience. They take the time to listen to us, right? Yes. So. I I literally could not do a show. It was a variety of reasons, and none of them were physical. Like I don't feel well now. That wasn't the problem. I I mentally, literally, absolutely one hundred percent was just at that point. And I think I'm not alone, so I don't feel afraid to say it. But I I was cracking um, our. Our COVID numbers here, our staff is getting decimated, Um, politics, you know, whether you're red or blue, just watching the debacle on a daily basis pour into my brain, it just got to the point where I was like, I can't muster the ability to do it. I couldn't. It's not that I don't care about nurse practitioners. I love being a nurse practitioner. I care about our week. But I could not bring myself to do anything. And that's just the facts. I wanted to do a show, but I felt like I was in the bottom of a well, like I was in quicksand. I just couldn't do anything between watching us tear ourselves apart as a country on every front. It feels like sometimes I made the human error of letting it get to me. And so I don't want anybody to think we didn't care or we didn't want to do a show. It was, I couldn't do it. I was just stressed out. Um, and they're just, I, I'm telling you <laughs> the show would have been silence. I would have just sat here and watched Ben talk for an hour. It just wouldn't have happened. And so, I apologize in one way for not having a show put out, but at the same time for me, it just, I couldn't have done it. And maybe we need to have Eric on to talk about that. I don't know. Maybe we need to give him a email, but it literally was that simple Uh, between politics, between COVID, between, you know,
1: life
0: yeah life i it just my brain literally said you're done and i clicked off and ben was gracious enough to say okay well we're not doing a show then so i apologize for not getting one out but it wasn't for lack of trying
1: well first off don't apologize because uh you know as we have uh beat to death on this show and will continue to beat to death. You know, mental health is health. And, you know, in, in talking to you throughout last week, I knew that mentally you weren't you weren't there. <laughs> and so that's why I, you know, I think Monday I texted you and said, hey, we need to do a show. And then kind of watched the spiral. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm trying to be, you know, like, but I mean, you could tell that you were not doing well. And so I just didn't even mention it again because I just I knew it was not I knew you weren't there and I appreciate your honesty and I hope the listeners do too Um, because it's okay to not be okay sometimes Um, and and you weren't okay last week and it is what it is man I'm glad that you're pulling yourself out of it as best you can and um, you know like I told you I think it's gonna be just a long few weeks oh until the end of the year. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> I think it's it's going to be a long six to ten weeks, I got a feeling. I, I completely agree. When we were talking off the air, we said, oh, six to ten weeks is going to suck. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope that's all, but for sure, I agree. I think the next six to ten weeks, for all of us personally and professionally that take care of patients for a living, it's going to be a gut punch. I, I think it's coming.
1: And I don't think anybody who, who is in our shoes would fault you at all for not being up to the task mentally of, of being entertaining um, and or educational <laughs> last week. Um, so, I mean, it, it, don't apologize uh, for real, because it's it is what it is, dude. So, you know, you got a great support system and we're all here for you. And, you know, <clears throat> there have been weeks that I'm like, dude, I can't do this. <laughs> you know, and it, whether it's uh, usually mine is because I'm so fricking busy that I just have way too many things on my plate, but it is what it is. And we'll continue doing the show as long as we can. And, but you know, occasionally just going to take a week off, but I hope everybody had a wonderful nurse practitioner week. I seen all kinds of cool gifts. And then I seen the, uh, the notas. So hopefully your organizations will uh, continue to become educated about the importance of nurse practitioners. So Anything you want to say to finish up? Good, sir.
0: The changes are coming, but don't, from what I'm seeing, it's nothing I think professionally we need to be stressing ourselves out about. I mean, learn it, try and apply it, but certainly it's nothing I think we need to be like, oh, my God, this changes everything. No, actually, I think it makes it better, not worse. So if you're listening to this and you're concerned, take a step back and just take a look at the information. and I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. Mind blown. <laughs> the, they did something to help us? <laughs> oh, yeah. like, wait a minute. There's a catch. <laughs> yeah.
1: What are you going to be doing later to screw us over? Yeah. Yeah.
0: The universe will balance itself out somehow.
1: Yeah, it is, it's okay. <laughs> maybe it is with COVID. Maybe They're just like, you know what? They've been through so much. Let's just uh, let's be nice to them for a year. Now, <laughs> 42, they're going to be like, okay, now, by the hit, way, <laughs> you got to hit 47 things in your history.
0: <laughs> you have to type with your left hand only.
1: <laughs> and your exam only counts if you do an entire full body, head to toe, in the uh, paper gown exam <laughs> with the rectal divided, tone. It's
0: uh, null and void. Yeah. No rectal tone, two, one, three is tops.
1: It's so. <laughs> two and two. Or two and two. <laughs> anyway, you know, I think we're gonna do a fun episode here in the next couple of weeks. Tom, I talked to you about it. And I think we're gonna do another Facebook Live.
0: I think, yeah, I think we all need that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it, you say that now until I you know we start screwing with your mind. Yeah. I thought it would be fun to do moral dilemmas. Yeah, I like it. And so I think we're going to have some fun with it. If you don't know what a moral dilemma is, just a a quick 30 second elevator speech version, basically, you know, like, okay, so, you know, you're on a train and the, you know, the engineer dies. And so you're, you know, you have the choice of, you know, if you stop the train, then you have to, you know, it kills your wife or whatever the case may be. You know, so do you stop the train and save all the people or do you save your wife? So that's kind of what the moral dilemma is going to be, stuff like that. So. I think we're going to do, uh, you know, Tom and I are going to debate them, have some fun with that. We're going to bring, uh, you know, of course, the the Facebook Live chat room is going to be firing up, I'm sure. And I think we uh, can do polls, so we'll actually get to poll everybody who's watching at that point to see how you would handle that moral dilemma. So I think it'll be fun.
0: Oh, I think it's going to be interesting. <laughs> That's, I I'm looking forward to it though. I think it's going to be a fun show, and. Good Lord. I think we need some fun shows in That's this right. time. So,
1: the red pill or the blue pill, Tom? The red pill or the blue pill? Uh,
0: uh, what happens if I take both?
1: You turn purple. <laughs> anyway, is that purple? <laughs> I hope you uh, join us for that show. I hope you enjoyed this show. I hope you got something from this because it was vitally important to what we're going to be doing next year. Anyway, on air, all those notes. Man, have a mentally happy but safe. Wear your damn mask. Do your social distancing. Love on each other. Love on yourself, Tom. <laughs> that sounds bad. You know what I mean?
0: Though. Yeah. Mentally that, Tom.
1: <laughs> Oh no, I'm leaving that in for probably. Um, she'll get to the. the
0: uh, oh yeah. there. Yeah, I'll get a text the minute she hears that.
1: But, you know, if you need to take a mental day, take a mental day. And, just, you know, we're all going to get through this together. So, anyway, have a wonderful week.
0: Hey, everybody. Stay safe out there. Black swearing your Stay just past the time. Lately I see why I am alone. I caught some road and I thought of you. All the many times you say I should have known. So I could so I could find my cheek.